Are you feeling like no one understands your struggles? That you're isolated and alone? Like no one has your back to support, encourage, or celebrate your wins with you? Well, let me personally invite you to join me in the Living Fearless Today Facebook group. Hey, we recently launched the group and are open to other men just like you who want to know their worth, value, and purpose to grow in confidence, find their worth, and appreciate their contributions. So if you simply search Living Fearless Today on Facebook, and uh, then just click to join us. I look forward to meeting you, seeing your growth, and the success you begin to experience in your life within this band of men. This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forrester, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Hello and welcome back, my friend. Today I have with me Chad Harrigan, and I have had amazing conversations with Chad. He speaks from his heart. He shares with honesty, conviction, just absolute transparency. And he brings an energy that it's just absolutely amazing. And I'm, I'm sure you will feel and see it today in action. I am honored to be able to bring Chad to you. Chad, thank you very much for coming on and being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure, my friend. My pleasure. Yeah. If we could start out, would you mind sharing like, where are you at now? Like what, what does life look like for you on a personal and professional aspect? So let's start with the trivia questions. I live in Dallas, Texas. I am a, I call myself a life consultant because it's more apropos to what I do than just coaching, but I am ICF certified, trained, went to UTD Dallas. They had a grad program, leadership and executive coaching. It's all psychology based. It was Amazing. I loved it. I'm a nerd. Professionally, I have a company called the YCLN Company that stands for You Can Live Now, where we focus on living lives of value and impact. And our big theme is learning how to live better, love better, lead better, because we believe none of the coaching, none of the self-help, none of the work you do matters if you're not living a life that you enjoy, uh, if it doesn't improve your quality of life, what's the point? Why go through the trouble? You know, so having that in every aspect matters at the end of the day. So my wife is my business partner and she focuses on women's health. I am mental and emotional wellness we deal, I deal with corporately a lot of IT companies like Uber and eBay and a lot of companies in that space who I can't name because of NDAs, unfortunately. Would be nice to brag. But even there, we deal with all the stuff about all the people stuff, all the heart stuff, because it shows up in your work life just like it shows up at home because you take you everywhere you go with you. So what's going on with you mirrors itself in every space you're in. You can try to hide it. It may show itself in a different form, but at its core, it's there. In my private practice, I deal with a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of small businesses, and a lot of therapists lately, which has been very interesting. It's been cool, but it's been really interesting. You mean therapists are human too? (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) We all need help. (laughs) Yeah, but it's been fun. I'm, I'm, I love professionally. I love what we do personally. We are actually preparing to spend. So I'm West Indian and we're from Anguilla, British West Indies. And my wife and I are preparing to be able to live there six months out of the year, live here six months out of the year. Very cool. So we are, we're working to make that happen and getting stuff prepared and that's going to be amazing because we can work from anywhere. You get set up. Make sure you got a spare bedroom. I'm going to visit you guys. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. You probably won't want to move back. That is quite possible. That is quite possible. <laughs> oh, man. 
So what does it look like as far as, you know, like your relationship with Lexi? How do you guys, how do you guys interact now? How do you make sure you have date night and, you know, just have time for you guys with all of that going on? Here's what's interesting. One theme that we saw a lot over the course of the past year was how couples like got divorced, got tired of each other. They hated each other. They, you know, it like COVID ruined a lot of relationships for us. COVID brought us closer. How so? So last year I almost died twice. What? On Father's Day, that the night of Father's Day, I had this horrible pain in my stomach. And I'm the type that it's just pain. I'll be all right. We just got to have go that possibility, <laughs> right? Potential <laughs> and probability. Three nights later, when it hadn't gone away, my wife said, okay, this is enough. We're going to the ER. So three nights later? Three nights later, because I'm oh. stubborn. We go to the ER. They do a CT scan. Guys, the doctor says, hey, your appendix and your gallbladder are about to burst. We need to get you in ASAP. I'm going to send you to the specialist to talk to tomorrow. Go see the specialist. Have surgery a week later. He's the best guy in the city for it. Dr. Raj, dude is amazing. They go in with robot arms and everything. I've got five holes in my stomach. It looks like I've been shot five times. Hmm. But... My gallbladder was necrotic. It had died. My appendix was about to burst. Had I waited an extra day, I wouldn't be here now. So I'm recovering. Doctor clears me for exercise. Start exercising. All of a sudden, my body starts swelling up. This goes on for about a month. We don't know what's going on. Go see a new doctor, a new primary care physician. She says, hey, uh, you know, she does EKG. My blood pressure was really high. She's like, you're having a heart attack right now. I said, I am? I don't feel like I'm having a heart attack. She's like, no, you're going to the emergency room right now. Go to the emergency room. Turns out I'm not having a heart attack. But what is happening, my heart was only functioning at 35%. There's this fluid. There's fluid. Or my heart was in, in the scan was enlarged. Cardiologist comes in and says, that's weird for somebody your age. They do more testing. I've got two liters of fluid around my heart compressing it. So my heart cannot function properly. They have to do what's called a pericardial window procedure. They go in, robot arms on my left side. So now I've got 11 bullet holes in my body. And then they have to cut a window in this fluid sack around my heart and get off two liters of fluid around my heart and start. And I'm in the hospital for two weeks and start draining all this stuff from my body. Had I waited Two days would have been dead. Mm. So that happens. My wife takes off. She has to just stay home and take care of me. I was in the hospital for two weeks, bedridden, you know, just I was in rough shape. But my wife got to be home for three months and not have to go to work during that time is when she started working with me as a coach and we do all this stuff. But we were just hanging out and we were like, man. We haven't done this since we got married, since we were dating. This is awesome. I like you. <laughs> That's a good discovery. <laughs> you know, and we were just so busy ripping and running, her managing a clinic, me running my business. And we were forced, it, God forced us to slow down. Now, my wife has stepped down for being a manager and just does her women's health stuff. And she coaches with me. And I've been able to do more in the business and forcing me to slow down gave me the time to really think some ideas through and really reframe and approach some things differently. But for our relationship, we're just like, oh, yeah, this has got to be what we do. So how quickly can we make enough money where you can quit your job and just do this so that we can hang out and enjoy this? My sister is in Anguilla right now with her family. They just moved in March. And every day I get pictures of them on the beach and we're just sitting there salty, (laughs) jealous. I was on the phone. I was on video chat with her earlier and we're just like, okay, we got to we're doing something wrong. We got to make that happen. You know, 
if all the money in the world is so we can have that, why don't we just do that first and then figure out the money? I love it. You know, so we're, we're like really enjoying ourselves and it's kind of like we're dating again. Mm. It's when we were dating, we were, we were friends first. We just hung out and then it turned into, it was like, you go to a party, meeting my wife was like, you go to a party with friends, you get separated you're, and then you're looking for the people you came with and you're searching all over the party. It's crowded. There's all these weird people there. And you finally find the person you came with and you're like, oh, there you are. I'm hungry. Let's go get something to eat. <laughs> that's our relationship. And that's what the pandemic has been for us. Like, oh, I remember when we were doing that. That was great. Let's kind of do nice more to see this. you again. Yeah. It's been awesome for us. I've I've loved every minute of it. So now we're like, all right, we got to get out of the country. We got to go get on the beach. We got to travel. So we've got to set our businesses up so it doesn't hold us back from living life together. So that's how we're doing. That is awesome. So along the way of getting all these bullet holes, did you find anything out about yourself as you slowed down that you're like, hey, I forgot about this part of me. I haven't been nurturing this or I haven't been doing this and and that you've re-implemented. I had not been taking care of myself and making time to just stop. I'd been, you know, like I, like how we talked earlier over the past two years, I've had over 1700 sessions. I've got, I've got the numbers, like I can see them and I have been killing myself just person, 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 session, 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 just dump on me, dump on me. And and I've just, I haven't stopped and just breathe, make time to, to, to get what I need out to reconnect with some of my passions and things that are just for me that I just enjoy. And having what happened is I didn't have the capacity at the end of last year, during the last four months to really coach people. So at first I wasn't coaching. I'd like everybody, I got to pass you off to other providers. And I couldn't even be awake for more than five hours a day, much less have the mental capacity to really be there and focus in. So over time, even now, it's been a slow recovery and I've had to just do good things for myself. And that's been really great because now that I'm back in the swing of things, I don't want to do eight to 10 hours straight of session after session with no breaks. I like this like five hours, you know, and okay, well, what do I need to do to make this kind of money, but have that, Yeah. you know, what needs to change in my business? What needs to change about my approach and how do I reframe this so that I really am giving and living the life I want to live with this kind of time. So my whole approach to owning a business has been different. I hadn't realized I just created a job. It paid really well, but I am a workhorse in every, in every job I've done in the past. Like when I did restaurants, I was working 80 hour weeks. You know, I wore myself down and it's how I've been used to do, how to be used to doing everything. I'd never seen what it was like to not do that. And then, oh, God still provided everything I needed. I got more private clients when I was doing less. And compared to some of my corporate stuff, it pays four times as much. Best of both worlds kind of deal. So what you're saying is I can do more by doing less? (laughs) Let's do a little bit more of that, you know? Yeah, it's like a paradigm shift that, that right. you have to look at because so many of us have been taught that we have to do more to have more or to be more. But what, what you're saying is you've gotten to a point where it's like, I need to do less to not only have more financially, but also for you to show up yes. and feel it as more. Yes. And that's, that's huge. How did you get to that realization? It was by seeing it happen because I had no choice. Because my MO, do you remember how 
we were having a previous conversation. You were talking about finishing things signified success. Correct. For me, my thing was I can outwork everybody. I may not be the smartest. I may not be the fastest. I'm dyslexic. I have ADHD. Same as much as, as creative as I am, but I can outwork you. I will kill myself to outwork you. I can do that. And not being able to do that forced me to do things differently because I just didn't have a choice. So that's when I found Clubhouse and I'm I'm laying in my bed. I've got nothing to do. Let's talk. <laughs> and that's how we met. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, so I could be on there and I could just run my mouth and answer questions or ask questions. And, you know, for me, luckily, I'm an extrovert. I'm an extroverted introvert. I love people. So I'm the guy that will come into the networking event and I make it awkward because I'm like, hey, I don't know you. What's your name? Hi. You know, and people are like, no, mm -mm. this is supposed to be awkward and uncomfortable for everybody. That's our shared experience. You're supposed to stick with that. And that's just not who I am. I like sitting at coffee shops or bookstores and listening what my wife calls ear hustling, listening to people's conversations. And they're really excited about something they're doing or creating. I just love that. That gives me energy. So meeting people and talking to all these strangers, it's a wonder why I was never kidnapped as a kid. But talking to strangers, it just, you know, I love that. And so I found Clubhouse and it was just like, oh, hey, there's more people doing what I want to do. This is awesome. And so I just, that made it easier. And then I started getting, I started getting into conversations that were like, oh, this is stuff I like to talk about. This is stuff that's important. This is stuff that matters. And so I would share a little bit and I started getting people who were like, hey, can we talk? Can we talk? You said this. I can relate to that. Can we talk? And so I can literally say all of my newest private clients have come from Clubhouse from just being able to talk. No marketing, no social media posting, but actually being able to cut through all that and just talk. What's going on with you? How can I help? What do you need? How does this feel? That sounds like that sucks. Have you thought about this? Here's my experience. Here's a story. Maybe that'll help you. Maybe there's something there. Are you seeing like a common thread in the people that are, are coming to you and saying, hey, I want to talk? Is it is it like there's a common topic? Yes. Or it has not mattered whether they were therapists, entrepreneurs, or IT. It has all been about, so far, probably in the past three months, some imposter syndrome. Really, it's been about self-worth. Yeah. And because imposter syndrome, self-esteem, effective communication are all impacted by your, your sense of self-worth, your perspective and how you see yourself in the world, all impacted by that. And so in order for them to get to that point of hearing, hey, my imposter syndrome is is tied or rooted in self-worth. Is it something they're open to or is it something you're kind of having to guide them around? Because, I mean, if you had come to to me back when I was destroying my family, I would not have have verbally have said, hey, I have a problem with self-worth, Chad. Let's yeah, talk. You wouldn't have known it. You wouldn't have seen it because on the right. surface it presents. So one of my favorite books is The Five Coaching Habits. And I love it because in there, the writer talks about five coaching practices that you can use to coach yourself. Mm. And it revolutionized my approach to coaching. That's a strong statement. Because it empowers people to coach on their own. I saw it as a threat when I first read it because it was a threat to my business because I need to be the expert. You need to depend on me because I have to be the one that tells you how to do this, that, and the third, or else why would you pay me? But then I realized if we can work through all the trauma, cut through the crap, then we can do, we can build, we can grow. There can be excitement and momentum. Coaching doesn't have to be trauma-based to be impactful. Right. We can be excited. We can be looking forward to 
and, and approach our lives with expectation in a way we probably haven't before. One of the things he talks about in the book was misguided goals. So you're paying attention to these things on the surface and what you're really searching for is these things below. So like say money, influence, and power. With money, what we're really searching for is freedom. With power, what we're really searching for is safety and vulnerability. Guess what we're searching for when we're chasing influence? Strength. Love. Worth. Really? Why do you think Instagram is so successful? If I have influence, if I'm famous, people will love me. Everybody loves a famous person. Everybody cares about a famous person. So I spent all this effort chasing money, power, and love and influence when I could really just go after freedom, safety, and love. And that freedom ties back to what we were just talking about as far as going to the West Indies and and having Lexi yeah. home. I'm like, wow. That's Why do I have to time. wait? My sister just moved. She's going to medical school down there. She just moved. They don't have a ton of money. And they're loving it. Why do I have to wait to have a ton of money to go do this? You know, so initially what I've been learning is just going through and on the surface, you're not going to see self-worth as the issue. It's something else. What's beneath that? You know, and that's where we would expose and say, hey, did you think about, have you thought about this? Here's what I'm noticing. Do you even know? The difference between self-worth and self-esteem. People think they're the same thing and they're not. And then when they understand it, and when you when you share that with them, they're like, oh, maybe it's this. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is that. So can you explain the difference for us? What is what is the difference between self-worth and self-esteem? So self-esteem says that I am valuable because I have, be, do, or achieve. Self-worth says I have value whether I have be do achieve or not. Here's why that matters. If my value is based on what I have, I be, I do, or I achieve. Let's say I work in sales. What happens when I have a crappy month, a crappy quarter, a crappy year? What happens when I lose my relationship or lose a car? What happens when I'm not the go-to person for this, that, or the third? Does that mean I'm not worth anything now? If you believe your value is tied to self-esteem, then yes. When you understand your self-worth and that those things are just things and they don't equate your value, you have a foundation. You have something stronger to hold on to. So here's what that looks like in real life. I do. My wife and I do this workshop about self-compassion. Some of my research is based on Kristen Neff's work, and she works at UT Austin. Go, Texas. But... She does a lot of self-compassion work, and that's kind of where I was first exposed to this. And through my research, I developed something called a self-worth quotient. So it's like an an Einstein thing where you have the four quadrants. Usually you're going to see urgent, important, and important, and urgent, urgent, you know, that type of thing. So you have high self-worth, high self-esteem in the top left quadrant. You have low self-worth, low self-esteem in the bottom right. You have high self-worth, low self-esteem in the top left, high self-esteem, low self-worth. Now, the best place to be, high self-esteem, high self-worth. A bad place to be, low self-esteem, low self-worth. But guess where the most dangerous place to be is? The high self-esteem, low self-worth. Exactly. Because then when I have that bad quarter, that bad breakup, I lose this, I go through that. And I don't have self-worth to hold me up. Then I'm in danger. When we translate that to to real life experiences, think of Robin Williams, Anthony Bourdain, Kate Spade. What did they have? Money, power, influence. What else did they all have in common? Suicide. Yeah. So it's it's almost like we build our identity on quicksand. Yes. So when when stuff happens, it shifts the stability, and then we crumble to bits. Yeah. So too externally focused, and there's not enough where we're focusing on the inside. Here's what's interesting. So working on a clinical clinical trauma specialty, and that's dealing with a lot of uh, veterans, people with PTSD. One of the things that they shared with us was that when you pay attention to the behavior 
of a lot of veterans. It is really boiling down to a lack of control of their external environment. Okay. So I've got all this internal turmoil, memories, trauma, triggers. I'm trying to avoid dealing and addressing all that. So if I can't control what's going on inside of me, I got to control what's going on around me. And when I can't control what's going on around me, that's when I have a reaction. I didn't have PTSD, but that's a, that is a very spot on description for how I lived my life and what caused so much problem in my marriage and my earning and kids had to walk on eggshells and it was like, what's going to trigger dad. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I mean, there's so much that's, that's tied in there. So as men, it's like with, with what's going on with COVID in the last year, businesses being shut down to, you know, Mm-hmm. closed, whatever. Have you seen an, an uptick in, in those kind of things coming to the surface where it's like, oh yeah, the guy is on quicksand where he, he doesn't have that, that self-worth. Are you seeing that come, come to the surface more now? Yeah. In a lot of, in a lot of different ways. Yes. And it's not always dealing with something financial. Sometimes it's dealing with relationships. There's just a lot of hopelessness that people are feeling. And it's a lot of times it's about addressing a lot of the low hanging fruit. So when we look at you have a particular issue, trigger, reaction, whatever you're dealing with, what is the quickest and easiest or, well, not easiest, but most simple answer to resolve what's going on with you immediately. How can we address that to get you in a better state to do some of the deeper work? One of the mistakes a lot of coaches and therapists make is we want to go straight to the deeper stuff. I don't have a job right now, man. I got to pay bills right now. I don't have time for deeper stuff. You know, my wife's about to leave. My husband's about to leave. I'm about to lose my kids. I don't have time for deeper stuff. There's a biblical principle behind this. When in the New Testament, Jesus talks about taking care of people's immediate needs before you try to convert them. Let's take care of the the things that people actually need. I was naked. You clothed me. I was hungry. You fed me. I was sick. You healed me. I was in prison. You visited me. I was lonely. You visited me. Let's take care of those because we've got to get you out of this heightened trigger state to be to even be able to start having these deeper conversations. And so here, while everybody has their thing that they're going through, we have to address what's top of mind because it's a barrier to deeper stuff if it can't be resolved in the way that's needed. Again, if we do all this work, but we don't impact your quality of life, what's the point anyway? super insightful and it's it's just so so impactful because it's like if we do change our self-worth like that's if we address that stuff then it's like it moves us into a different position it's less of a like a tower of cards or a house of cards yeah where it's yeah so fragile and then i mean just like you talk about when we're when we're so focused on the immediate need or core needs we're not really able to have the energy or the patience to dive into the deeper stuff that is causing our day-to-day problems, both in our personal business life that takes us to that level. Yeah, man. I do want to jump back and we've talked about where you are. You've shared a ton of great insight on how things occur and how we can address them. I want to go to talking about where you came from, what you growing up and then some of the challenges you faced. You said you, you came from the West Indies. What mm-hmm. did your child and teen and 20 years look like? So my parents, it was interesting. I've had, I've lived a lot of lives. So I've had a lot of different experiences that are relatable to a lot of people. When we first came to the States, it was me and my mom and we lived with my grandmother. My dad then had to go back to the islands to finish school. So for about the first four or five years, he wasn't up here. I'd only see him on the holidays. So 
I had a, a, a smidgen of the single parent home experience, right? And so that was, that created an interesting dynamic in me and my dad's relationship. We lived in Compton, California. Then my dad moved his mom and brothers and sisters. They lived in East LA. They all stayed in the house. There was like 11 of them. My dad's the oldest of 20, 23, 23, 26, 23. I think it's like 23, 26 kids. He's the oldest of 20 of, of that many. And so 11 of them lived in the house together. And so we would, you know, our family's huge and our family's pretty close. Yeah. You know, so I was, I had a community when I came, when, when I was here. And it was just a, a really big blessing to always have. I have two younger sisters, but I have a ton of guy cousins and uncles that are close in age. So I'd still got that brotherly experience. So that was really great. Then we've lived all over Brooklyn, Alabama, Ohio. And as I grew up, my family's very musical. So I have people in my family who had put out albums and record deals. I thought that's what I was going to do with my life. So since I was a kid, my whole life was geared around that. So I didn't really put a lot of stock in college going to grad school. I did it. I went to college because it's what my parents wanted. Got a degree in communications, went to HBCU, Oakwood University, and had a ton of fun there. Absolutely loved it. I partied. I got good grades, though. I got good grades. Took a while, but I, I got them. Vowed I'd never go back to school again. And then I ended up working restaurants because it was quick money. I knew how to work hard. I would outwork everybody. I knew how to hustle that. And I always, I would always hustle something. You know, I've owned a, I've had a business or I was selling something, a service or a product or something since high school. Everybody in my family is a business owner. You know, my dad is, my uncles are, no matter what job, there's always some type of let's do a business something. So that was always my, my thought process. Got married. Uh, to a girl I went to high school with, got divorced three years later. And during that time, I'd had both, I had a record deal, toured overseas, lived in Germany for a while, did that. That was awesome. Met my wife. We became friends. And after I moved back to Huntsville, we were just, you know, we were cool, kept in touch, hung out. And then eventually we started dating. And it was a total meltdown of my life. So I didn't know I had trust issues. My wife and I had both come into our relationship from toxic relationships previous. We made the mistake and unknowingly of working out our issues on each other. Once you were married or before you were married? Both. Okay. So the first six months of our dating relationship, we broke up every week. Or we talked about breaking up every week. There were arguments. Sometimes there were ceramic cups thrown across rooms at my head. Um, (laughs) They levitated. And there was a lot of pushing and pushing and pushing to see if I can push you and you won't come back to prove my insecurities right. And then we got married. That almost didn't happen because I was terrified. My wife was there. So, repeating the past or? Repeating the past of this, if this fails again, then I'm a total failure. What am I doing? I'm finally free, but I can't see my life without this person. And we've both talked about this after we got married. In fact, on the on our honeymoon night about how both of us almost didn't show up. So we, same reasons. Hi, Coach Mike here. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Living Fearless Today podcast. Man, if you're struggling with your worth, feeling you're not enough and playing small, honestly, this isn't your lot in life. There is more available to you beyond this podcast to help you uncover your worth, feel respected, be confident, and play bigger in all areas of your life. Grab a time at highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call to set up a complimentary session on where you're at today, who you want to be, and how you can live the life you've been desiring. Again, Head on over to highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call and take that first step towards your life transformation. That's interesting. Yeah. You you talked about the four quadrants, right? Mm Self-esteem, self-worth, 
where were you at that point in the quadrants? I was, I thank God I was a high self-worth, low self-esteem. Thank God. And things could have gone a different direction, right? Could have totally gone a different direction. I would have regretted it. You know, here's here's what's something we did that I thought was weird but I'm so glad I did it because we, it didn't happen in my first marriage. And I believed had it happened, I wouldn't have gotten married the first time and I would have made better choices. Premarital counseling. And we did it twice. We did it before we even got engaged because I said, I'm not even going to cross that threshold of even planning a wedding. if This isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. So before we even talked about getting engaged, we did premarital counseling. And then we did premarital counseling after we got engaged. And then we did counseling after we got married. And I, and it may seem like overkill to people, but one of the things that I valued so much is my wife is my buddy. Like we didn't meet, oh, she's pretty. Let's start dating. We were friends and we're friends, friends, you know, and I believe that's made all the difference and why we've made it through all the stuff we've been through. You know, we finally have our kid, which we fought because we struggled for a year to get pregnant. My wife had growth assist in her ovaries that was the size of a grapefruit. They were going to have to do surgery. And they were like, there's no other way. We're probably going to have to remove all that. You're never going to have kids. We see this documentary on juicing called Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead. And we do the juicing program for 60 days. My wife goes to the doctor. They can't find the cyst. We get pregnant a few months later. The size of a grapefruit, 60 days later, they can't find it. Couldn't find it. We get pregnant three months later. And I knew, I knew my wife was pregnant before she said anything. And being a dad changed my whole identity. When we got, when we first started dating, I was like, we're never having kids. She was like, we're never having kids. It was actually one of the things we connected on. No, we're going to travel. We're going to have fun. We're going to live life. Kids are going to get in the way. We have a kid. I was like, oh my God, tears, tears, tears. This is amazing. We moved from Dallas where my son was born to a small town in East Texas called San Angelo. No, Sonora which is an hour south of San Angelo, Texas. There are two stacked lights. We were the black community, me and my wife and my son, of that town. There were so few people, but they were paying my wife six figures to live in the middle of nowhere. And it was the most peaceful I had ever been in my life. I was a stay-at-home dad. Me and my, me and my kid, me and my boy, we had a ball. We had a ball. I hated it when I got there, but after a while, it grew on me. I'd never lived in a place where you could go outside and it was quiet and you could see every star in the sky. I'd been in, ever since we moved to the States, I'd been in cities my whole life. This place, if I had the money, I'd move back to the middle of nowhere. Just for that reason? Just for the peace. Just for that. When I tell you it was the most peaceful I've ever been, except for being on a beach, it's the most peaceful I've ever been. And I was like, oh my goodness. We've got all, it was the first sign we've got all our priorities mixed up because I still miss the city. You know, that's where we really got. And I believe God gave us that because that year and a half of being there was just me, my wife and my son. We saw our parents and our relatives a couple times, but we got concentrated time with our son because he died on October 9th, 2014. And I know that had we been in the city where we had wanted to stay, we wouldn't have had all that concentrated time together as a family. And I would have regretted all of it because I probably, my biggest regret during that time was the last two months of his life. I dropped him off at daycare because I was like, there's all these kids his age. He's got to be able to have friends. Let me let him socialize and do that. The selfish part of me wishes I hadn't done that just because that was two months of just me and me and CJ just hanging out like we would do all day. But it was good for him. Insights however, yeah. And however, part of me believes that's how he got sick initially, being around kids who were, you know, kid germs. Yeah, gotcha. 
And he had, we didn't know, but he had a compromised immune system. And so he had, without going into too much detail about all of that, he had pneumonia that had gotten into the four lobes of his lungs, but it didn't, the type of, the, of pneumonia it was, it didn't present itself as pneumonia. And the weird thing, my wife was a part of a mommy's group. That same year, four other mothers all had sons that were two or younger. All of them had the same thing. All of them died around the same time. All of us had taken our kids to doctors to say, hey, my kid's fever's not gone. It's been past three days. We've given them the Tylenol. What's going on? All of us got sent home. And we were told something like, you know, just give your kid some more spinach, give him some more iron, he'll be fine. Well, that was a Monday. My son was dead by Wednesday. He's later? Yeah. And so there was a whole thing. We won our case, all that kind of stuff. We sued, everything like that. After that, that's when it got the darkest. We left Texas, went to Alabama to stay with my parents for a bit, just to get out of, get away from everything that reminded us of Colin. And I remember... I had stopped sleeping. I would sleep maybe one or two hours every few days, taking taking all the sleeping pills, the z all the sleep aids, they stopped working. None of them worked, and I didn't sleep. That is when I stayed up and played that video game we talked about. So I'm up, not sleeping, had a breakdown, playing a video game where the hero could heal, thinking if I healed enough people, I'd earn enough healing power to heal my son and bring him back because I'd had a breakdown. And that was also during the time I had attempted suicide because having my son redefined my life, losing my son redefined it again. And if I couldn't protect my son, if I couldn't, if I didn't have a, a family, a kid to provide for in the ways that I defined myself and come to cherish, who am I? What usefulness do I have? What's the point of being here? And I was at my lowest point and it was there. And my wife would, and and we were in a space where we were both in our pits of despair separately in the same, in the same place. We didn't even see what was going on with each other. So over the course of the next couple of years, we eventually crawled out from under the rock. We had hit ourselves under started to get back out in the world to work, to live. We'd moved back to Dallas, but in this, we were still deep in our depression. So we're going through the motions and just functioning, not living. At this point, we're just roommates. There's a period, and and if you talk to her, she'll tell you the same thing, but there's a window of time. And by our guess, it's probably a good six to eight months where time is fuzzy and we didn't actually talk to each other for real. And I don't mean like in the house together. Like I knew I would, I remember her coming home, sitting on the couch. How was your day? It was okay. All right. Maybe. And I remember her going to bed and I remember me going to bed, but having real conversation. No, I can't tell you what happened in our life during that eight month period. Neither can she. So when we were, when we try to remember some of the, and that's the trauma, when we try to remember and go through the timeline of stuff, there's this fuzzy period, you know, but she started going to therapy individually then. And so that's when we had the divorce talk that woke me up because I'd had that talk before. And I know how that talk ends. And that was and one I'm, of your fears oh, entering the marriage. I was like, oh, I'm about to lose what I got because of this. Oh, no. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Nope. You don't like, this is the only thing I have that's keeping me going right now. And that woke me up to like, okay, we've got to get, start fighting our way out of this. We got to fight for what we want. I'll be darned. I wanted to say the other one, but I'll be darned if I lose my kid and I lose my wife. No, life doesn't get to hit me and I don't fight back. So we, I ended up getting into therapy and then eventually got into coaching. Then eventually started learning about coaching myself. And it was just weird how God tied everything together because we'd come back to Dallas and we were like, I'm not sure if we're going to stay here. 
I'm not sure if this is, we just came back to someplace that was comfortable, you know, and there was a period of time we traveled every weekend for about six months. We went to a different city in the country, around the country to just check them out. I don't know where we got the money from, but somehow God provided the money. But I was like, okay, I got to do, I had shut my business down. I was like, I got to do something new. Let me try and be an influencer. Let me make money selling courses on how to make money. Let me do a podcast and or whatever. Let me. So we go and I do these meetups and do these mini events and people come. People research you on the internet when they're going to come to your stuff. I didn't realize that. I don't know why. But everything with our son was public. His death, his life, everything, because we were so far apart from our family. So we posted stuff for them to see. And that's how they would keep up with what's going on. So when we go to these things, I'm trying to talk about business. Nobody wants to talk about business. Everybody wants to talk about all this personal stuff. So it's, I'm about to lose my marriage because of my business, or I'm about to lose my business because of my spouse, or my wife doesn't know we've been living on credit cards for the last nine months and we're bank, we're going to go bankrupt and the money's about to run out. How do I have that conversation where this is affecting our sex life because I'm so stressed and we haven't touched each other in months. My wife is just, my spouse is just a stranger to me, or I'm taking cocaine so I can stay up because I don't have the energy to do this and do that. At the same time, this is the stuff that people are talking to me about. And my therapist says, you should check that. You should pay attention to that because that happened everywhere we went. People would tell me their deepest, darkest, scariest secrets before they told me their name, if they remembered to tell me their name. And this is at what you're publicizing as a business meeting. Yes. Wow. And I was like, okay. And one of my mentors is is the coach I talked about. And she said, why don't you check out coaching or therapy as a, as a career? And I found a program at UT Dallas. I was like, all right, God, if you want me to get in, let me get, if you want me to do this, let me get in. And I got in. And Okay. So it was like a Gideon thing. Now, if you want me to do this, you got to pay for it. And you paid for it. I was like, oh, okay. You're running out of uh, options. I'm running out of options. <laughs> And then I get in it and it was totally not, it was not what I thought coaching was at all. It's not what I thought therapy was. And I fell in love with it and I forgot everything else that I ever did. And in it, I found my purpose. So you at that point then left being a chef, being, having a record deal, I loved everything else. It was so much to the point I got into school in August in December, I went and visited a friend in Austin. We had lived there previously, and we were I, I was just doing music almost full-time there. And he asked me what stuff I was working on, what music I had done. And it I was like, music? And it dawned on me, music hadn't even entered my mind as a thing to do. I don't even actually think I listened to music for that entire time. That's heavy because what you shared earlier was, Music was like a big thing in your family, not right. just for you. Wow. Right. That's... And I realized music was a gift, but this was my purpose. And there's a difference. That's a whole nother topic. And I know oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, man, we go down that Chad, people will be here for three hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know that was, I'm sorry. I know that was long winded, but that that's, that's, that's how we got here. That's perfect, man. I, I, again, appreciate your vulnerability. This is one thing that has attracted me to you is the fact you're honest and open and just laid out there. And I would say that, you know, it's like people saw that as well, because you're attracting people at a business meeting that are sharing their pain, you know, that they're not even sharing with their spouse. You know, obviously if it's like, Hey, we're about to go bankrupt and my spouse has no idea. I mean, to have that kind of trust, that's just something of who you are. So, oh my gosh, man, (laughs) that just floors me. Yeah. So, so after you got to the point of, of going to Austin and realizing like, Hey, coaching is the way I want to go. Like, how did you jump even further into that? Like, as it It was, honestly, it was a struggle. So, because we want everything now I want, I want the end of my story at the beginning. And I, here's what's weird. Purpose doesn't always equal passion. Purpose is a calling. Were I to choose and have my choice, 
I probably wouldn't choose coaching because it pulls from me so much, but I'm drawn to it and I love it more than I love, I've loved anything. And, you know, it took me a while to get there trying to figure out who I was, because now this is a new thing that defines me or a piece of me. At least I don't know who I am in this profession. You know, am I the health and wellness coach? Am I the mind, mind, body coach? Everybody has the titles, you know, am I the executive coach? Am I the, this, the, that, you know, when it's in truth, if anybody in your audience wants to know, all that stuff is a bunch is branding. Coaching is coaching. Therapy is therapy. It's all the same. We just, you know, that that's really for your benefit. So you feel, oh, this person really gets me. No, it's just you're, you're going to get all the same techniques. You're going to get this work. It's like know? branding of books when you go into Pretty much. Noble, so you know kind of where you're at. Pretty much. But you're going to get a lot of the same information, just maybe through a different lens. And I struggled with figuring out who I was. And business wise, I had run a mobile app company. I'd done design and in, in, in websites and I tried to run this business like I'd done all of those and it doesn't work. It is not the same. And I had to learn some hard lessons and had some huge failures and screwed up some huge opportunities in the beginning. I can talk, I can sell, so I can talk a good game. And I thought it was just going to be like falling in line the way all my other stuff had been. But there's a whole different approach that this takes. And there's a whole different way that I have to, that I, for at least for me, that I have to do this because I have to be able to connect with people and have conversation. And they have to trust that this is the right move for them to make. It's got to be a heck yeah or a heck no. There can't be any gray area in between. You know, and so it's it's really been interesting because doing this more has really defined my lens. The way I see the world, my perspective and everything I do flows through that. The way I talk, the way I show up, you know, what I am going to do and what I'm not going to do. It's 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 been fighting for every piece of that because I it also I couldn't just be someone else and it work. It had to be mine. It had to be me or it wouldn't have made sense. Yeah, Got to be in tune with who you yeah. show through. Otherwise, it's like it's visible. Yeah. And that's its whole bag of cats on its own. You know, my insecurities, my triggers, all that stuff comes up that I contend with so that I can be what I need, be all things to all men. I've got to be what, what people need when they need it in this space. You know, and so I I have to I have to self-talk and self-compassion my way through it. I have to honor and enforce boundaries on my time and in my self-care, even against myself and my habits. You know, it's like what we have to do in our day to day life and, and yeah. relationships is a lot of what you're having to do over on the business side as well. Yeah. With this transformation and all the the change and the re-identification that you, what are some, some tools or, or, or habits patterns that you've had to put into place to continue like growing you from where you were when your son passed, getting out of the depression, you're, you're getting back to the point of then having a relationship with Lexi again and going, Hey, I see you across the room now, everything that's gone on, like what have you used and still using to have that, mm-hmm that growth and getting you to the next phase. So if we're talking for me as a person and not me as a business person, the biggest thing, the first thing has been to slow down. You cannot be present if you're not slowing, if you don't slow down, you can't squeeze out all the juice out of these moments and these experiences. If you don't slow down, it is not enough to just talk about it. Talking about the thing is not the same as doing the thing. So it requires that I slow down to go deeper. I have to slow down in order to actually go fast. How does that work? So if I want to microwave my life, then I can throw my life in for two or three minutes and my meal will be hot. 
But when I sit down and I slowly and I take my time, cut my vegetables, layer my seasoning, layer my flavors, add this thing at the right time, add that at the right time. My meal isn't just hot. It's full of flavor. It's got depth. It's got texture. In like manner, I can jump to the end, but I won't have what I need to keep me there. I won't have the growth and the insight to build on that, to scale that, to I'll miss a lot of these little moments and a lot of these little things that are only available with time. And I have to be okay with time being a part of that factor. So I have to slow down to be present. The other thing, the other big thing is effective communication. There's a quote that I really love, and it's it's in my Instagram, but one of the biggest misconceptions about communication is that it actually happened. What do you mean? I'll give you an example. And this is a story my wife and I like to tell when we deal with couples. My wife and I went through the, and this happened this year. My wife, for the longest, and I have had this miscommunication issue around one word. Okay. So... We would go through this thing where I thought she said something, she was saying something else, and vice versa. And it would cause these arguments because we would have these quick conversations and then go. And we're, instead of going like this together, we are going in different directions. And then we're like, hey, wait, what are you doing? This is, this is what we said. This is what we agreed. No, da, 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 da. but you said this and, and, and it would be all this confusion. What we realized is that we were simultaneously having different conversations using the same word. When I say, okay, if she, if we're discussing, let's do this with the money, I want to do this, you know, this is the idea that I'm thinking. When I say, okay, I mean, okay, I agree, let's do that. When my wife says, okay, she interprets for her, okay means I'm tracking, I'm listening, what else? So, so I, thought we've, I thought we've come to a decision she thought the conversation was continuing. So at the same time, we were having two different conversations using the same word because we both defined okay differently. The biggest misconception about communication is that it actually happened. Communication is not talking. Communication is getting what's in my head, out of my mouth, into your head, the way I meant it when I thought it. See, before we talk, we have the thought and the thought comes attached with all these extras. So there's lights, there's lasers, there's explosions, there's action sequences, there's title sequences, there's background music, there's extras, there's feelings, there's all this stuff that does not come out your mouth when you talk. They get the dry text. They don't get all the extra. And when you don't realize that, then miscommunication happens. Then on their side, when they receive it, they've got their own movie going on. So what you said plays into their script, into their television show in a totally different way. You're having a drama there in a sci-fi. <laughs> That's a great one. And so the three basic principles of effective communication, know what you're trying to say, know who you're talking to, and then how you want to say it so that when they receive it, they get it how you meant it. And so that requires you slowing down and making sure that you're actually saying what you mean to say. That's why we have a lot of, well, you said this. That's not what I said. I said this. No, you said one, two, three, and four. Well, I meant A, B, C, and D. Well, why didn't you just say that? So we've got to actually stop and pay attention to how we're communicating establish a communication style that works for the two of you. That's when we get into, you know, we're two different people from two different backgrounds, two different upbringings, two different views of the world. And so what I am thinking is one thing you're thinking is another. So that story that I tell when my wife first got around my, my dad's side of the family, the West Indian side, the super West Indian side, it was me, my mom, my sisters, my aunt, and a, and a cousin, and we are going at it. We are, at, I mean, there's clapping, 
fists are smashing in hands. We're in each other's faces. And the volume is at a 25 on a scale of one to 10. It's hyper aggressive. And then my baby sister says something and then we all bust out laughing. My wife was peeking around the corner, seeing what all the commotion was. And then when we started laughing, she was like, no, wait, that's not how this goes. You guys were arguing. You're supposed to go to your room. You go here. You stop talking to each other. You're upset. You don't laugh. What are you doing? And we turn around and we're like, who is fussing? We're just having to talk. But it's two totally ter- two total different interpretations of the same situation. My wife comes from a very passive-aggressive family. We're aggressive-aggressive. So two different styles of communication. We had to create one that worked for us because when we got married, me, my aggressive-aggressive and her passive-aggressive did not mix. I would be aggressive-aggressive. She would cry. I don't do well with tears. And I'm not used to that. And I'm like, whoa, tears? Why are you crying? That's not how this works. I give, you give back. You're supposed to jump in my face, clap the hands, rawr, rawr. And that's how we do it. Then we laugh. She couldn't do that. It was triggering for her. You're expecting her to hash it out. And she doesn't know what to do with how you're coming at her. Exactly. And so we had to stop and be like, okay, wait a minute. What happens when, you, when you're communicating this? How do you receive that? This is what happens with me. And we had to go back and start at how we, like not topics, but how we communicate. What works with me? What doesn't? What you respond well to, what you don't. Almost like love languages, there are communication styles. And you've got to go to the basics, figure out what's going to work for you. So slowing down. Effective communication, and I mean we talk. We talk and talk and talk. And then just consideration and kindness and asking questions. Where are you right now? How are you feeling right now? Are you good? What does that mean? What do you need? Hey, I need this. Just so you know, and and saying what you need and not expecting people to mind read. I'm feeling like this right now. Can you pause for a second? I need this from you. Can you give me this? If not now, when can you give me? And being able to do that, that also takes me being aware of myself, what I need, what I want, what it's going to do for me, and why. I think the powerful thing is there, you're using open-ended questions that it's not just yes or no, Yeah, but it's requiring information so that you understand where Lexi's at or the person you're speaking with. Yeah. Well, Chad, thank you so much for everything you have shared here today you're welcome i know that was a lot i I know i i have it's it's always a lot but this was good hey it it was fantastic and i deeply appreciate that it's my pleasure Uh, thank you how can people get in touch with you see more of what you're described and you know you've got going on coming up the easiest way is instagram and i'm at hey chad harrigan that's h-e-y-c-h-a-d H-A-R-R-I-G-A-N. I'm the only, I'm going to be the only Hey Chad Harrigan or anything like that on Instagram, but that is the greatest place to follow me, connect with me and start conversations. You can even find where I'm at on Clubhouse and be alerted whenever I'm moderating or hosting or speaking in a room because I try to be a part of the most interesting conversations that I can find. That's what I've known you for <laughs> is, is not only being attractive, but also participating and adding value, you know, making the conversation better as, as it moves yeah. along. So yeah. what, what stuff do you have coming up that people can be on the lookout for or anything? We are for? this year, this summer, in fact, going to be launching a few courses. We're going to be launching our show. The, my wife and I are doing a podcast It's going to be called Show You Can, like show you can do this, show that you can do that. And we're just going to be talking about love, life and leadership. And I'm going to be starting my own show tentatively entitled, I Don't Know Who Needs to Hear This. And we're going to be talking about some stuff that for me, I feel maybe a bit edgy, but 
is necessary for people to come to grips with and really connecting and having great conversations that are impactful and hopefully make a actionable difference in people's lives, you know, and then you can just go to our site. What we do have now, if you go to the YCLNCo.com, you'll be able to get a free audiobook and course on learning how to trust yourself again. So rediscovering and reconnecting with your intuition and walking through that process. Chad, thank you again so much, my friend. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks so much, my friend, for joining me on another episode. If you found the information within the show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to. It helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode. And remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one.